churches and any folks listening to this uh welcome this is technically episode two of the provcast as i'm calling it right now that title may change okay uh but this is just a podcast idea i had in regards to our uh little community in oak park i wanted to uh really spend the majority or really all of this episode talking about what's been happening in regards to the conversations around uh, the systemic racism that has plagued our country for years, police brutality, racial inequality, privilege, white privilege, cultural appropriation. There have been many, many conversations and even scrolling down my timeline you will not find a lack of resources, churches engaging in this conversation, nonprofits engaging in this conversation, uh, a lot of people wanting to learn and educate themselves. I really wanna be very careful, not with so much of what I say, but very careful in how I talk about this conversation Because I want to speak truth. And that truth may sting. Because truth sometimes does sting. I would say it actually usually stings. Dallas Willard has this quote that I love that says, Yes, the truth will set you free, but the truth will also make you flee. And I think that's very a correct assessment is I want to be careful with what I share because someone listening to this may not fully understand everything of why I'm sharing what I need to share or the perspective I have or what it feels like to be a member of the black community. But my carefulness, to be honest, is not to create a sense of comfort. These conversations have been happening for many years and we do need to create a dialogue around them, yes. And we need to do it in in Christ-saturated love and gentleness, yes. But I wanna be careful to make you understand that what I'm about to share is not only something that should stay on your heart and your mind, not just when a black man or woman gets killed or murdered, but all the time, because that's what we're called to do, all the time. 
And here's the truth. Um, the evangelical church uh, has not done a great job at having these conversations or handling these conversations. And there's so much we're doing now. There's so much we're doing to bridge the, the divide and to um, have these open dialogues where we're encouraging listening and, and education. But if it stops here, we've missed the mark. If it stops here, then this was a, a murder that spurred itself into a sermon series. It can't stop here. And that's kind of what I've been telling myself all week in, in conversation with Marissa and, and holding my family close is I want to commit myself to not just a podcast for 15 minutes, but to speak carefully because how hypocritical would it be for a murder, a death, an injustice to become trendy, to produce podcasts, to produce sermons, to produce books, and then no action, no heart change, no repentance, no action actually takes place. That's a challenge I have for myself too. So I want to just start by saying that. You know, a story I've been thinking about a lot. A lot of people have been sharing the story of Jesus's encounter with the Samaritan woman and how that encounter completely um, just ministered to the whole really Samaritan community because of Jesus's act of love, compassion. It spurred a huge dose of racial reconciliation. Not only is he talking to someone who is a Samaritan, he's talking to a woman, which is huge in that time in the first century. And we already see Jesus being the pillar, right? The, the, the figure that is central and crucial to all of these conversations. This has been on the Lord's heart and mind for centuries. And I'm happy that the church is catching up to that. But these injustices have broken the Father's heart. These action-based steps to discover uh, how to find racial reconciliation and understanding, yes, it is the cross and Jesus is the answer because his blood was shed for all of us. So when we see George Floyd dying, that's a blood relative of ours, that's a brother because just in the same way that we are sinners saved by grace and that Jesus' blood was shed for us, it was also shed for him. He was made in the image of God. But the Samaritan woman's story has not been the focal point on the top of my mind and my heart. Mine has been uh, really one in John chapter 1. And John chapter 1 verse 43 says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, 
was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Here's why this story has been on my heart. A couple points. Messianic ruler coming in to take his people out from under the thumb of Roman oppression that he's dealing with something. He doesn't even realize that he's dealing with something, someone, that he can't even imagine. He doesn't realize that he's talking to the Son of God, the begotten Son of God. God, the God-man, the God who put on flesh, the, the, the Jesus who has not just come to take his people under the oppression of Roman rule, but under the oppression of the darkness, the evil, the demonic oppression that plagues this world. The, the, the one who has come into this world, who is not of this world, sharing the great news that God's kingdom is available to you. It's here. And this is how you do kingdom work. But Nathaniel can see none of that. Because Jesus is from Nazareth. He's from the wrong side of town. He's from the wrong neighborhood. The wrong part of the city. And you may be listening to me like, yeah, that's, I mean, come on. We, we've, we've known that in the church. Come on, that's some low-hanging fruit, Sheridan. Yeah, it's like we, we know not to judge a book by it. It's like we know. We get it. It's it's racism is sin, is sin is evil, and, and we're meant and, and we're called to oppose that. But don't assume you know something until you've allowed the Lord to reveal just how deep this open wound goes within the church. And this is an open wound, friends. So if Nathaniel can have his own prejudicial blinders on to not even be able to see the Son of God, then that seed of, well, you're from Nazareth, whatever that is, discrimination, prejudice, that seed, if that disrupts a true vision of who Christ Jesus is, we have to be very careful as the church because this could have been, I would say has been an incredible disruption in the church. God possibly has been intent on moving in a mighty way. But because this, this seed of I didn't know anything good could come out of Nazareth. 
I didn't know anything good could come out of that part of Sacramento. If you don't think that that's a disruption, not only to revival, but also to what God wants to do in your own heart, you're wrong, friend. It absolutely is. This is what I believe the church is called to right now, is the church has been under the fig tree. A lot of scholars believe that Nathaniel was there in deep prayer, in thinking, expecting what he thought the Messiah would look like, be like, feel like, smell like. The church has been under the fig tree in prayer. The church has been isolated from this conversation for far too long. It's been under the fig tree, but it hasn't responded to what Philip calls Nathaniel to. Come and see. We've refused to leave the fig tree. We've refused to go into these communities and ask questions and learn my community. We've set ourselves under the fig tree, thinking about these things, but we have not ever really answered the call. We haven't come and seen exactly what Jesus has to say, what he's doing, what he has to say, what the Lord has to say about this racial reconciliation conversation. Oh, we've created sermon series out of it. And we've created booklets. And we've come together and we've had conversations about policy and ideology and as if the cross on Calvary had a donkey sticker or an elephant sticker on it. We've had countless conversations about that. Not many about this. Not even recognizing that my ancestors, my people, this country was built on the backs of their enslavement. And the same racist white slave owner that might have first told them about the name Jesus. It didn't stop there in their hearts. Can you imagine that? The same person who's whipping you, making you feel lower than a dog, is quoting scripture from the Bible and using scripture to justify slavery in the most horrific way possible, blaspheming the word of God and putting their own soul in jeopardy. But here's the thing. My people held on to that Jesus because we recognized that Jesus, I believe, is for us. That Jesus is not okay with this slavery. That Jesus is not okay with this injustice. Actually, I'm going to read the scriptures for myself. I'm going to learn to read and write, and I'm going to share these very stories in the slave quarters with my community and my family, and I'm not just gonna hold it up for a photo op, I'm gonna read it. And man, I don't care what my slave master thinks is in this book, I see time after time, God is heartbreaking for the disenfranchised, 
for the communities that are facing injustice. And I see this Jesus doing the very same thing. It's great to be under the fig tree. Jesus is the answer. The cross is the answer. Prayer is the answer. Revival is the answer. Yes, but we have to come and see. We got to go do something. And it may be white pastors, my brothers and my sisters listening. It may be not just coordinating a dialogue where you're, you know, black uh, associate minister or leader in your church and, and, and tokenizing them and giving them an opportunity a couple Sundays this month to share about their black experience. We, we might be able to take up our cross in a different way. It may be giving them the pulpit for a string of Sundays. It may be letting a whole majority of people share their testimonies about what's going on. About what it really has been like to be a black person in the evangelical church. Because friends, we have been late to the party in these conversations. We can desire a church that looks like heaven. But if we haven't gone from under the fig tree, friends, what are we really doing? I can't tell you what it feels like. I remember saying the sinner's prayer when I was four years old in a church. And I remember the man, the white man, the older white man, it was not the pastor of the church. It was a children's leader at the time. And I remember him leading me through the prayer where I would start understanding what salvation and my deliverance was. And just the other day, I saw him on Facebook and I saw his real feelings about this conversation, about maybe this is just being overblown or I saw his real feelings about, essentially, I guess, the black community. And that's confusing for a black soul, friends. That's confusing. It's weird. And if we can have full dialogues about lust, if we can have full dialogues about how the church can respond to the coronavirus, we must first repent and recognize we haven't quite even responded well to a virus that has been plaguing our church for years. And I'm speaking to the church because that's been the world I've been living in since I was a little boy. As a black man, we have to have this conversation, but we can't stop. And as a white person, we need to have conversations about privilege, yes, because it's real. But we can't just stay under the fig tree. We have to go walk and go and see. And this is what happened to Nathaniel when he saw. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
then I saw with my very eyes, this is not just a race problem. This is a sin problem. This is an evil that's been plaguing the bride of Christ for way too long. White brothers and sisters, it begins by asking yourself, Do I care about this conversation because it's relevant or trendy? And two, what are the what are the real great sacrifices that I can make in my own ministry? It could be blocking off a couple Sundays to have this conversation. It could be though. It could be something that the Lord reveals to you. That's what it means to come and see. Come and see. Okay. Yeah, the truth will set you free, but man, this truth stings. Okay. Okay. I'm starting to understand it. I know what I need to do. Those are my thoughts on it, friends. Um, I share this in love. Let's come up from under the fig tree and let's come and see what Jesus really has to tell us about what is happening in our world. And I think we do that by prayer. I think we do that by looking at the cross. But I think we do that by listening, by engaging with those resources, right? By having an understanding that we need to do better. And so how do we action-wise do better? And if we can bend backwards to adjust adjusting to a pandemic oh man we can we can dedicate so much of our time to this conversation because jesus was not just a social justice warrior he was social justice he was social justice because he was walking around saying the kingdom of god is here and under god's roof and rule Injustice and racism has no place in his living room. Because his living room contains the living, baby, not the dead. Not the dead. We're all figuring it out. But we're dead. We're dead to our ability to disciple the world. We're dead to our ability to see what God wants to do. When we have allowed racism, privilege, cultural appropriation to manifest itself in our hearts. And it's our job, right? It's our job as the church to root out that issue and that problem. Hey, I love you. I got to go take care of my son. Be blessed. Thank you, church.